In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Just as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, I'm sure we can all agree that there is nothing more thrilling and exciting than a Bible passage listing ancient names and places, right? (laughs) I know it's easy to tune out when we hear readings like the one from Luke today. It's hard to connect with so many ancient people and places that aren't part of our lives. Honestly, when I read passages like this, Sometimes my mind wanders until we get back to the important stuff, which I guess in today's reading is probably when John the Baptist starts yelling at people to repent. And I don't think I'm the only one. Jeff, you definitely yawned before I got to Lysenius. But it's helpful to think about why the author of Luke included all these names. I mean, he could have started this story in so many different ways. So why did he choose to start it this way with with these words, these people? Bible scholars believe that the book of Luke was written to try to give a very orderly account of the story of Jesus in the most complete, credible, and convincing way possible. And if I wanted to tell you a story a story that I thought was really important, a story I believed to be true, a story that I really wanted you to believe, I would probably tell you where it happened and when it happened and what else was going on at the time because that makes the story more believable, right? It it grounds the story in reality. See, these people, Tiberius, Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysenius, Annas, Caiaphas, they were real, actual, historical people who lived in this world. Archaeologists and historians have found artifacts and other records that show they existed. We know when most of them were born, when they died, what role they played in society. And the places that were mentioned, Judea, Galilee, Icheria, Trachonitis, Abilene, those are real places. We can pull out an ancient map and point to them. And all of this helps ground the story of Jesus to this world, to reality, to real life. And that's helpful for us 2,000 years later. 
These names and places anchor the story of Jesus in our world. They tell us the story of Jesus is not Greek mythology. It didn't happen a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Didn't take place in Middle Earth or Westeros. It was here in our world where a man named Jesus Christ entered the realm of human history. And to help us better understand the story of Jesus, these names give us context, social and political context. They tell us what was going on. Take that first name, Tiberius. Good Star Trek name. That name gives us important context because when Tiberius was the Roman emperor, the people of Israel were an occupied nation. They were being ruled by a foreign power. They had been living in bondage for years. At one point, Tiberius forced every Jewish person to leave Rome or they would be enslaved for the rest of their lives. That's some important context. Or or take the second name, Pontius Pilate. He was the man that Rome had put in charge of the occupied region where the Israelites lived. It was his job to, to keep the peace and control the population. History records that Pilate was vindictive, that he had a furious temper, that he was cruel and violent. He didn't care about Jewish customs. And so his actions had caused multiple rebellions that he had to crush. His name being included in this list tells us that not only were the Israelites being ruled by a foreign power, but tensions were rising. Or or take the last names of the list. Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. When they served, the Israelites were not allowed to choose their own high priests. They were appointed by Rome. And that was an outrage. We know Caiaphas became high priest during a turbulent time of great unrest. People couldn't agree about what to do in response to Rome's occupation. And there were calls for violence and insurrection. So what I'm saying is it was like a powder keg about to explode. These names tell us so much. They help to explain the situation into which Jesus entered. They tell us why he was received with such joy by some people and why he was greeted with suspicion, hatred, and violence by others. They tell us that the political and social issues around Rome's occupation and rule were at the forefront of everything, like a like a smoldering fire just waiting to turn into a raging inferno. Things were incredibly tense. And amidst all of this, the Gospel of Luke says a man named John entered the story and called people to repent. Not just to turn away from the bad things they did as individuals, but also to change what was wrong and unjust in society. Some valleys need to be filled in, he said. 
And some mountains needed to be brought low. And what was crooked needed to be made straight. And if we keep reading, we'll learn that people responded in very different ways to John's words. Great crowds of ordinary, everyday people came out and repented and were baptized. The religious leaders even went out and John yelled at them, told them to change their ways. But you know who didn't show up to repent and be baptized? Emperor Tiberius, or Pontius Pilate, or Herod, or Philip, or Licinius, or Annas, or Caiaphas. None of them did. And this week, I realized that's important. You see, the common everyday person who was living under Roman rule was already keenly aware, not just of their own inadequacies, but that society needed to change. And that's because they were at the bottom of the heap, the lowest rung on the ladder, the ones who were being harmed and oppressed by the society in which they lived. They experienced what was crooked and broken every day. But if you had asked Emperor Tiberius or Pontius Pilate or Herod or any of the other names on this list, if they needed to repent or if society was in need of deep change, if there were crooked things that demanded to be made straight, I suspect they would have thought you were out of your mind. And Also, they would have had no idea what you were talking about. And that's because society worked well for them and already functioned to their benefits. I have to tell you that it is amazing to me how people can have such different experiences of the same reality. How people can even see the same situation, but see it so differently. How people can live in the same world or or the same country, but, but exist in very different realities. And this is certainly true when it comes to so many of the social and political concerns we're facing and debating about, not 2,000 years ago, but now, today. I mean, think about it. So many people are speaking up to say that our current economic systems and practices are not working for them, that they can't get ahead, and instead are being left behind that in some ways the deck is stacked against them. And at the same time, there are many for whom the system's working just fine. A huge multitude of our neighbors are proclaiming that racism is still an issue in our country, that they regularly face individual prejudice and structural barriers as a result of their skin color, while others look at things and simply don't see it. And this is true for every issue, from climate change to for-profit prisons to our entire immigration system. Often we don't just disagree with other people. We can't even understand where they're coming from. It's easy to forget that other people can have very different experiences from our own. And while it's natural and right for us to speak from our own experiences, We have to remember that they're not the only ones that are valid and true. And our own experiences almost never tell the full story. 
Our world today teaches that those who disagree with us must, must have nefarious motivations and evil agendas. And so they should immediately be denounced as awful or bigoted or offensive. We assume the worst about one another almost always. Rarely do we assume the best. Rarely do we consider disagreement the result of having honestly lived through different experiences and therefore an opportunity to listen and to learn from one another. And into our story steps John the Baptist, still calling us to repent, to repent of our hubris, our self-righteousness, our arrogant and condescending belief that we already have all the answers, our sin of assuming the worst about one another, our unwillingness to hear our neighbors and actually believe them when they say something that disagrees with our experience. We are called to listen, especially to those for whom society does not work well, those who are struggling and down, so that valleys can be filled in and mountains brought low and all that is crooked made straight. I hope you noticed the fact that despite Tiberius being an emperor, despite the fact that Pilate was a fancy governor and Herod the mega-rich ruled Galilee and his brother Philip the impressive ruled other stuff and Lysenius, Jeff, was apparently like a big deal and Annas and Caiaphas were powerful, the word of the Lord didn't come to them, but to an everyday guy named John. God did not choose someone powerful or mighty to proclaim that God's kingdom was coming or to prepare the way for Jesus. Time and time again, God chooses people that the world overlooks or even looks down upon and chooses them to be instruments of divine mercy and love. And I think that's good news, especially on a Sunday when we're confirming one of our young people. Tori, you don't need to be an emperor or a governor or a high priest for God to speak to you and work through you. You certainly don't need to be an adult. God's love is not reserved for the richest or the smartest or the most powerful. God's not looking for people who have it all together who have everything figured out. God's looking for loving hearts and open ears and willing hands. Listen, I know we've looked at a lot of lists and names this morning. And if you tuned out at the beginning waiting for the exciting parts, here it is. Through Jesus, your name's already on the list that matters. Now you get to respond. And if that isn't thrilling and exciting, I don't know what is. Amen.